Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. If you brought your Bibles with you, why don't you flip open to Acts chapter 2 with me this morning. Acts chapter 2. If you forgot your Bibles, it'll be on the side screen beside us. And we're going to read verses 14 through 36. But before we do that, you have a little bit of time to get into there. Hey, we started probably three weeks ago with uh, looking in the book of Acts, and we're just going to keep on diving through uh, the book of Acts over and over again, probably for a very long time. And so uh, just so you are aware, um, our sermon series on the Acts is all around one key verse, and it's found in Acts 1.8. If you'll pull that up for me there. Um, it says this, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the whole point of Acts is the church learning to become the witness of God in all of the areas where God is at, the whole entire earth. And so uh, we happen to find ourselves in Acts chapter 2 today, and, and I told you probably a while ago that Acts chapter 1 through chapter 7 is all about setting up the church in Jerusalem. And so we find today um, a great story, or actually, sorry, not a story, but a great sermon um, from Peter that really sets up the church in Jerusalem. But to be able to actually go to the, all the areas of the earth. I want to tell you something about last week um, that I feel like needs to be reiterated is when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, it wasn't all of a sudden that they were beginning to just witness everywhere and go, these are the truths of Jesus Christ. In fact, actually, no, it was more like this, that they were just singing the praises of God. In all these other languages, they were shouting praises of God. Sometimes I think that that is one of the first ways we witness, is by telling people how good God is. I think we always want this idea that we need to give the four spiritual laws of man and talk about the Romans road and use our little bracelets that have all the colors of the world on it. I'm even wearing a bracelet that has a whole bunch of emojis that tell the gospel so that I can remember. Um, I, I know the gospel. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but all of a sudden in Acts chapter 2, Peter steps in and he doesn't use a different language. He uses the common language of everybody. And he uses Greek to share this story right here. So let's read it together. We're going to read verses 14 through 36 together. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you, have, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. 
In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before, before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on my name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and, as he, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was, betray, was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grips. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you have filled me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, but he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath the one, that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted at the right place, at the place of the highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I hum humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Would you pray with me? Hey God, there is a lot in this scripture. There's a lot about you. There's a lot about our own hearts. And God, I pray that as we open up our hearts to listen to your word today, Lord, that you would guide and direct. That, Lord, it would bring us to be better and better witnesses for your kingdom. That, God, it would start here at home and just spread. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I, uh, there are some of you who would remember this, but uh, probably about 15 years ago, we were in the old sanctuary, and for some reason, Jay had to uh, leave and go on vacation for something, and for some odd reason, Jay let a 22-year-old kid do his first sermon in church, and I'm going to tell you that it was the best sermon you all have ever heard. Uh, no, it was not actually. In fact, um, I remember it vividly. I'm pretty sure the Gutenbergs are still sitting in the same place. They just moved, right? They're still sitting over there. I mean, and Becky Johnson's still over there because the piano was super close, right? And uh, I, I vaguely remember like the Brunells sitting over here and a lot of other people, the Weenses. 
Uh, we're like right here. Anyway, so um, what I did was I thought I was going to be amazing. And so I thought I would preach out of John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. And if you don't know what that is, it is the story of Jesus coming to uh, Peter and telling Peter to feed his sheep. And so they were kind of sitting around a fire that day. And uh, Jesus was cooking fish and talking to Peter and saying, hey, do you love me? And Peter's like, ah, of course I do. And so I thought, man, wouldn't it be amazing if I brought in a fire pit into the church? And so I set up this little fire pit right here, right? And then I thought, man, wouldn't it be super cool if I brought like two camping chairs in? And so I brought two camping chairs in to sit like this right here. And one was going to be Jesus and one was going to be Peter, right? And so like I would sit down, I would say a few things that Jesus said. And then like I, as I like got up, I'd like interpret it and walk around. And then I would sit down and be like Peter and say a few things that Peter, see, I know. Yeah, because you know that it was horrible. So anyway, like we were sitting there and like I was just going, and at one point I did one of these things where I'm like, I'm going to be super cool. And I sat down, I'm like, no, it's Peter's turn. And I jumped up and I did this little, and I sat back down. Oh, it was a mess. It was an absolute disaster. And I didn't think I'd ever preach again. And then we look at Peter coming into this very scripture and his very first sermon of the gospel knocks it out of the park. He does an amazing job. And, and I think there's a few things um, that make his sermon absolutely unbelievable. I think there's a few things that I think that made my sermon absolutely horrible. And there's a couple things. One is that um, I care way too much about what people think of me. And so in the instance of trying to be cool or trying to get people to like me, I do things that maybe aren't as spirit-filled. The other thing is, is maybe I just didn't know enough about Scripture and that process that it's taken me to get to this point of, of still doing some knockout park sermons and some mediocre sermons, and there have been some bad ones. Um, but the idea of allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. And so before I say anything is this, is something that I've learned from reading this. As a complete side note, it's not in your, it's not in your notes or anything like that, but while you're listening to our sermons every single week, whether it's Brian, whether it's me, whether it's a missionary that stands up to speak, here's what you should expect from us, or here's what you should desire from us, is that they are simple and understandable and answer questions about the life that is going around you right now, that we continually bring it back over and over to Scripture, and that it's completely Jesus-centered and brings us back. Those are three things that you should always look for for sermons. Because as we look into this scripture, I, I do believe that, man, it is simple. It is not some big theological thing. It's understandable. He is bringing it to what's going on around them. He brings it to scripture and gives new insight into scripture. And he completely points people to Jesus over and over again. And so please continue to pray for your pastors that they would do that and that you would hear that every single week. And if we're not, man, I, I desire that you go talk to Richard Weens and tell him I'm not doing my job. Don't talk to me. I'm t come and talk to me, please. So 
right away, we see in this scripture, um, as Peter steps up and is filled with the Spirit and is going through, the very first thing is that in Peter's sermon, he confronts people's questions. And so if you're taking notes with me, let's dive right on into this. Peter, right away, confronts people's questions. You see, there's really two questions that are going, uh, going on here because people are just trying to make sense of everything that's going on. And so they ask the question, are they drunk, right? Are they drunk? And I love his answer in verse 15. No, nope, it's not happening. Nope, verse 15. <laughs> These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. He just answers it right away. Nine o'clock in the morning is a little bit early for that. There are some people in this world that nine o'clock is too late, but not in this instance, okay? Nope, he says. And then he goes on to the next question that they're asking, is what does this mean? What does this mean? How is it that all of these people are doing all of this stuff, what does it mean? And he answers them clearly and plainly, and I love his response. He says, they're fulfilling a prophecy. Verses 16 through 21, he brings them through a process of saying, they're fulfilling a prophecy, and I'm gonna give you a new way of looking at scripture. It's a brand new way of looking at things. And he quotes directly from Joel, verse two, verses 28 through 32. And so I'm pretty sure that I have that. There we go. Then after doing all of those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn red. Before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion and Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. He brings an amazing piece of scripture that they've been waiting for for a long time. But not only does he just say, we're fulfilling scripture, but he begins to give them a whole new theology to look at what's going on. You see, in the Old Testament way of things, we saw the Holy Spirit do what? And I kind of talked about this a little bit last week is we saw that God would send the Holy Spirit onto somebody and then it would go away. We would see that the Holy Spirit would, uh, would fill somebody up to do some miraculous work and then it would be gone. It was never long lasting, standing, and not for all people. There were times in which... Um, then you had like Samson, right, who, was, who had to be a special person, right? Long hair, not drinking it, not drinking wine or anything like that to be able to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have other things going on. And, and so the Old Testament way of looking at things was a lot like David would say in Psalms 51.11. He said, hey, Lord, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The idea is, is that, man, there are things in which we would do that if we did something wrong or, or maybe that God would go, nope, I'm just lifting my Holy Spirit from you. And so if we were doing the right things, if we, if we had the right 
um, motives, then the Holy Spirit would come upon us. And then they would read Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32 and go, this is what it means. At the end of all age, when the Holy Spirit comes, the end is near. God is going to set up his kingdom and it's all done. We're good. We're, we're great. Now, now God, will, God will continue on. And, and in fact, actually, he says, no, it's, it's a little bit different. It is like the Old Testament era, but now we're in this new section, which really, he says, we'll only look at 28 and 29 uh, in Joel. And he says, then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Man, he's trying to describe now that this is what it's going to be like, that everybody is now going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he is your hope and your savior and you see him as Lord, you will have the Holy Spirit. And then uh, just like in other verses, verse John 14, this is kind of where he's at. He will say, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus was with them, and Jesus has been promising this over and over again. And for these last 50 days, he's been studying this, going, what is the scripture saying about this? And John 16, 7 goes into it and says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Jesus is saying this, because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. They've been looking for this the whole entire time. And he says, no, the Holy Spirit is for right now. But he wants them to understand that the kingdom of God is not finished yet. He separates verses 28 and 29, and then he says, but 30 and 32 are for later. And Joel kind of goes into this a little bit. There's a break. There's kind of a separation. Here's what's going to happen with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth. I mean, he's looking towards the future. It's not a, as soon as the Holy Spirit comes, this is what's going to happen. And so he's setting up his church, or the church, not his church, the church, to see this as differently. This is the Holy Spirit that he's promised. This is not something we don't, didn't know about. This isn't um, like the Old Testament and where we've been, uh, where the Holy Spirit comes upon us and then leaves. No, it is here to stay and you should be ready that as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that as we're witnesses, man, he will advocate for us. He will counsel for us. And all of us will dream new dreams, and we will see a way in which we connect with God And as we get further and further to the end of the age. I love that that's the very first thing that he does in his, in his sermon. He goes, man, I'm going to confront what's in front of you guys, share a little bit of scripture with you to kind of look at a new way. But I'm also today going to tell you why this is important. Why is this scripture in Joel important? And he goes off on an amazing tangent. And so if you're taking notes still in, in uh, the second section of his sermon, I mean, it was pretty much like he had an introduction. And now here's his main body of his sermon. His sermon is to bring God glory. And so in verse 22, he starts off right away. He says this, 
people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. In his sermon, Paul gives authentication to who Jesus is. He doesn't say, hey, do you remember, do you, do you remember the, uh, the guy that was here and how, how great of things he did? No, he's setting up the story in which he's trying to tell people, this Jesus of Nazareth, God publicly endorsed him. And the way he publicly endorsed him is he did signs and he did miracles and he was healing people. I want you to see this. As he's being Jesus-centered, he's bringing back, nope, this is really who Jesus was. Can you guys see this? 50 days ago, remember, they're still in Pentecost. There's tons of people bringing their first fruits to, first fruits to God to give an offering. And he's telling them, look, you should probably check out this Jesus. You guys have been maybe a little bit blind. You killed him. And man, we need to, we need to work on it. In fact, actually, I would even say that I do not believe that Peter thinks that he's any different than them. Because we're going to talk at the, at the end um, in the conclusion of this sermon about um, where Peter was just at in the last 50 days. Then he goes on in verse 23 and he says, But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. And so, as he's bringing glory, he's, as he's bringing glory to Jesus, he's walking them through the process. You crucified him. Now, there's so many things that we know on the other side of this, right? As the people are listening right there and they're seeing this brand new thing that they've never seen of, of people being filled with the Holy Spirit and all 120 people in the room filled with the Spirit. And then, man, Peter steps up to do this amazing sermon we know on the back end of things what it means that you killed him because we are observers. They see this and they're just like, they've, they've been in it. They know that 50 days ago, they watched a man crucified. They watched a man who man, did all these wonders and miracles and we crucified him and this is the outcome of that. On our side of things, I'll just let you know that it was we know that the prearrangement of God was the idea of pain for our sin. That 2,000 years later, that when we look at this, this you and this idea of prearranged is us. We nailed Jesus to the cross. Not because we were vindictive and we were mad at him. No, because our sin is what brought Jesus to the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross taking our punishment and our shame. That's why he had to be crucified. Not because we just wanted somebody dead, but because we could not pay. We could not be made right in front of God. There is, not, there is no amount of offering that you can give. There is no amount of festivals that you can create to be able to show God's goodness that makes you right in front of God. This is something that, like, we on this side of things can look at and go, yeah, you guys are horrible. Why would you kill Jesus? Wasn't it cool that you did, he did all these miracles? But 2,000 years later, the shame of that doesn't hurt any less. 
See, we talk about it over and over again in church that our sin is what separates us from God. But our sin is what brought God to make a prearrangement for us. There's not an amount of effort or work that we can do that makes us right in front of God. And then as Peter continues to bring Jesus' glory, he's finishing the rest of it, and he says, he says now in verses 24 through 32, and this is really amazing, but God realized, sorry, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grips. Man, I keep saying grips today, grips, grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. This is from Psalms 16, eight through 11. You, you have that in your notes. When Jesus is resurrected, Okay, so he goes into saying that Jesus was really who he said he was and that he was crucified and that he was resurrected. He's pointing them back to over and over again. Remember, this isn't something new. You guys have been looking forward to this. There's been this Messiah that we've been waiting for and Jesus is this dude. And I love that he has the scripture to back it up to say King David even knew about this. King David in way a long time ago said, guess what? I've seen what God is doing. He's going to send a Messiah so that my soul can rest. That I will not just be among the dead, but you will raise the Holy One from the grave. And you've shown me the way that is to be. And that you filled me with your joy, with your presence. So not only is King David also saying, wait a second, the Holy One, Jesus, is going to die, be put in a grave, raised. But because of that, the presence of God is going to be with them on that day. Blows me away what Peter was like just 50 days ago to this guy who's quoting Joel and quoting David because he just knows it. And he's being taught through it. But that wasn't it. That's just not the only thing that Jesus did. Jesus, the next thing in verses 33 and 34, goes in and says, Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as, and the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as, he, as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. There's so many other theological implications, but here's the deal. Is not only was Jesus resurrected, but now he's ascended. He's in heaven and he sits on the rightful throne. So he's bringing them through the process. They see something going on ahead of them, and they said, this is what's going on. How can this be? What's happening? And the last part of his sermon is he, in verse 35, finishes it with God is glorified. And that comes from Psalms 110, verse 1. That Jesus didn't just go to 
heaven and that's it. No, he is absolutely glorified. He sits on the rightful throne to the right hand of God, has the ability to make all the decisions. He holds the key to the kingdom. He is God's right-hand man. We all know that. Some of, us, some of us have heard that story before. But it's amazing to see it in action because Peter is the embodiment of his sermon. Verses 36, verse 36, sorry, says this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. You know, in, in this idea, he could have just left it as just the Messiah, but this, if there were anybody listening, they would completely understand that when he says both Lord and Messiah, everybody from every language is on the same page, that Jesus is high above everybody else. In the Gentile world, when you say Lord, they realize what, what that means is that he is supreme. And in the Messiah world, man, any Jew would realize this is the person we've been waiting for. And the whole entire time, Peter is bringing them back into a different understanding of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. You know what I find fantastic about this thing that Peter's got going on is he had no need for notes because the word of God is absolutely in him. He's walking with Jesus and he's at any moment ready to share his witness. The words of Christ were in him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And guess what? It can speak through him. I mean, it's, it's almost as if, well, it is. It's not almost. It is this amazing cooperation between Peter and the Holy Spirit. It's this amazing cooperation between the two of them. That as Peter has been learning for the last 50 days from Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes a hold of him and says, let's go. You see, what I think is interesting uh, about this is that Peter's sermon is great, not because of what he said, but because of what it does in us, in the people around him. You see, 50 days ago, actually three and a Three, day, three years and 50 days ago, and all of that sort of stuff, Peter messes up over and over again. Peter doesn't understand this parable of the four soils in Matthew 15, and they misinterpret what Jesus says in Matthew 16 about the yeast of the Pharisees. And then Peter and the other disciples try to push babies and children away from Jesus saying they can't come to him in Mark 10 and Peter fails to continue to walk on water. He in fact sinks in Matthew 14. Peter yells at all of his disciples about who's the greatest of all the disciples in Mark 9 and Mark 10 and in Luke 22. Then Peter blindly says some really dumb things on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is changed and he suggests some weird stuff and Jesus is like, nope, uh-uh. And then we find later on that Peter tries to speak for Jesus in Matthew 17. I mean, it goes on. The, the list of these 12, it just continues on. One of the biggest things is this. Peter tells Jesus, sorry, you're never going to wash my feet. And then when Jesus is at his hardest moment, he falls asleep on him. And then three times, 
Peter denies Jesus. You're talking about a guy who was walking with Jesus, knew who Jesus, and still stumbled and fell over and over again until the moment which Jesus' life was completely fulfilled and the Holy Spirit came on the scene and he was transformed into a new person. I think sometimes when we think about being a witness for Christ, we always think that we have to have the right things in the right order. God can use everybody. Are you, are you willing to? You know, the first thing that I was talking to my, uh, my preaching team this week about was this idea that uh, it seems like we treat God like we like we treat math tests sometimes, right? We never want to study. We never really want to uh, put all the information into our mind. And then when it comes to the math test, we're like, God, give me all the answers so I can pass my test, right? God absolutely can do that. If God wanted me to know all the answers to the tests, that would be phenomenal. I think God wants more from us is a cooperation with him in which we are learning from Jesus over and over again to that very moment when God asks us to be witnesses, we are completely ready. Because I think that Peter could have had all the right answers and said the right things, but completely missed how to move people in what's going on inside of them. Because we find later on that in verse 30, well, verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced everybody's hearts and they were begging, what do we do now? What do we do now? Which is what we're going to get into next week. But here are some basics that I think. Have you looked at Jesus correctly for a while? Or have you just heard pastors say over and over again, your sin nailed him to the cross and so now you got to do this and do this and now you have newness of life. Have you been, like we said last week, and waiting expectantly for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can be a witness? Have you desired the scripture to go, no, I want this so much so that I can answer everybody's questions at any time? What does this mean? What's going on? Are you continually pointing back to Jesus over and over again? So the one thing that I, I mean, I probably should have started with this at the beginning, but here's the deal. The very last statement in your notes. When we are witnesses, we must confront the questions of those around us by being filled with Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and Christ-focused. You see, I think sometimes we just want to say, oh, do you know what you need? You just need Jesus. But why? Why does that person need Jesus? And are you waiting for the Holy Spirit to continually over and over fill you so that you can have a cooperating relationship with him to say the right things? Because over and over again, as I've looked at this, you are always witnessing, always. From the moment you wake up and are with people, there is witness coming out of you. Maybe we need to be a little bit like Peter and go back to John chapter 21 and listen to the words of God, which I think is so weird that his first sermon came out of John 21 and my first sermon, anyway, doesn't matter. But John 21, 
Are you allowing God to work through you to hear the words, do you love me? Yes. Well, then would you do this? Do you love me? Yes. Well, please do this. Our salvation doesn't come out of doing. That's not what I'm saying. But man, our doing comes out of relationship with God. That we desire his presence so much that we are witnesses everywhere. And so when we are witnesses, we must confront the questions of those around us by being filled with Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and being Christ-centered. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we sing this last song, Lord, I pray that we could be people who just desire to witness and desire to um, be filled with your Holy Spirit, to know Scripture, and to continually point to you over and over again. And God, if we haven't done the work of understanding what you did on the cross for us, God, would we take the moment in this song to allow your Spirit to renew us, to see a difference that you are truly who you say you are. That God, that our sin put you on the cross so that we could be justified in front of you and that you raised him from the dead and you took him into heaven and that he is glorified above all else. God, as we work through the rest of Acts, would you work in our hearts to understand those truths more and more, but to also be witnesses to those truths. Glasgow, in Valley County, in Montana, and to the outer ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. So a couple things we can take home with us. One, what, what you should expect from preaching and teaching is, is to uh, look at Peter's sermon and, and know that it needs to be in Scripture. It needs to be spilled with, filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and then the other thing is, is I, I don't know about y'all, but how many of us here have ever faltered or, or not been 100% in our faith? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand and just admit that, that yeah, it's, it, is, it is difficult to be 100% in your faith every day. And, I, and then you look at, as Seth pointed out, all of the stuff in Peter's life for those three years with Jesus and all of his mistakes that we can just easily point out. And, and I think sometimes the focus in our life becomes on that for us. We look at our life like Seth looked at Peter's life. Mistake, mistake, mistake. Here's how I failed Jesus. Here's how I failed Jesus. Here's how I questioned Jesus. Here's where my faith is at 100%. We just keep going and going and going. And so I think Peter did the same thing. And, and one of his motivations was, was maybe out of doubt, maybe out of doubt, that, that for those 50 days as he's learning from Jesus, as Jesus ascends, he's like, was any of this real? Was any of this real? And I think we can relate to that. Was any of this real? Is any of this real? And so he just, he's in, he's in the Word. He's in Scripture trying to figure out if it's real. And I think we need to do the same thing. We need to get into Scripture and find out if our faith's real. I can tell you 100% sure that this you're allowed to question. And this will not fail like we will. So question. Get in there, because then, like Peter, through all of our failure with the Holy Spirit, we can proclaim and be a witness. 
Let's pray. Lord, this is, this is a, a small town in the middle of nowhere. And maybe, maybe we can get the thought that there's not much that we can do for you here, around us, or, or in the world. But Lord, our town might be close to the same size as many of the towns that Jesus went through, many of the towns that the disciples went to in, in Acts. And Lord, I, I pray that through our sin, through our faltering, through our failures, that, Lord, you help us focus on you and your joy and your glory. Lord, may we be filled with Scripture. Lord, may we be filled with your Spirit. Lord, may our life center around you, not to the best of our ability, but, Lord, give us strength to do it to the best of your ability. We love you, we love you, we love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.